Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey, welcome to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Halevi, also known as B, and I am really excited to have a conversation today with you about the Enneagram and Enneagram number two. For those of you who haven't been following along on a regular basis, no worries. Happy to have you today. You might be watching on video, you might be listening on various podcast platform, but this is the Defiant Spirit. And that is all things Enneagram, an ancient personality energy assessment uh, system and the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, my mentor and teacher, um, who's the founder of Logotherapy, meaning-centered therapy, living, philosophy. And I am really intersecting these two great traditions, bringing them together to help empower you to defy your number and live your spirit. Now, I have a new program out. By the way, jump over and check out the defiantspirit.org. It's, um, you know, it's not done, the website, but definitely is clearer um, around my work and what, what I'm doing professionally now than my previous uh, website. So I have um, some different programs coming out, but the foundation of it all is called the Defy Your Number Enneagram System. And it's just a base introductory uh, and advanced level program for anybody who wants to understand their Enneagram type and um, go through it in a methodical process to really start utilizing this, integrating it into your life so you can not have a number, not have another type, not have another you know, set of thou shalls and thou shall nots. My understanding of the Enneagram, really influenced by Viktor Frankl, is that we are never a number. We cannot be reduced to a number. However, we put ourselves into all kinds of boxes, all kinds of numbers, and we need to break out. We need to defy our number and become free. And so the Enneagram is really a system about understanding where you get limited, labeled, boxed in, and how to get out. How to take back your defiant power of spirit, as Dr. Frankel calls it. How to be free. So we're looking at different Enneagram types. There are nine basic types. The last podcast I did was on Enneagram 1. We did a general Enneagram talk on the Enneagram 1, and then we did the um, Wealth 360, understanding it through the lens of wealth, because I'm partnering with experts in various fields to bring the Enneagram to their respective industries so that people can start using it to understand whatever that thing is. So for Wealth 360, obviously dealing with finances, finances, um, money, wealth creation, and my good friend and financial expert Michael Feiner and I are piloting Wealth 360. So today we're going to look at the Enneagram to the helper, and then um, a little bit later on you'll have access to the Wealth 360 conversation I have with Michael. Um, and I'm also going to do a Lead 360, Leadership Through the Lens of the Enneagram with various expert um, leaders and examples in leadership. And so stay tuned 
for those. Okay, Enneagram 2. Now, this is uh, the ebook from my new program. It's 41 pages, so I'm not going to be giving you all 41 in this relatively short podcast, but we are going to just be looking at some core concepts. When you do invest into this program with me, you get an Enneagram assessment, high level, not the crap you get for free or you know the low-hanging, inexpensive um, assessments out there, but you get the top of the line, second to none. It's about $120 value. So you know the other ones are free, maybe $12 is $120. It's super um, thorough and just the rock star of the Enneagram world. And then I use their data and in my system, the Defy Your Number system. And so if you were an Enneagram 2, this is what it looks like. Now, if you're not a core type 2, you have all nine of these numbers in you. So it may be very high up in your um, in your profile, the way you've ranked these numbers. It might be what I call your hold type. So you have a type that you think like, a type that you feel like, and a type that you act like. Well, this is the feeling type. So maybe you're not a core type two, maybe you're an eight, but you feel like a two, a three, or a four. Those are the feeling types, the helper, the achiever, and the four is the individualist. And so even if I'm an eight, I might have a part of my whole type, which is I feel like a two, and then I might think like a seven. So your core type is your dominant type. It's the one you really should go to and pay attention to as your primary MO for reacting and responding, for being unconscious and becoming conscious. But then you go to other aspects of your Enneagram. And there are different ways where you might want to get to a two. Two is in you. Two are the people around you. Two is probably your mother or your father or somebody in your family unit. Two is essential in us and in our lives. So let's explore Enneagram 2. I like famous examples because it's rare, you know, in this kind of crazy inundated with information era that we all know the same things or the same people. And yet, you know, if I put up here, what, how many are there? I don't know, 15 or so any uh, famous people, I imagine you could probably, without the titles on them, probably name at least five, you know, 10, maybe all of them. I think J-Lo name got chopped off. I got to fix that. Um, So I like it because they give us a flavor and we have a mutual understanding, at least in this culture in America, whatever, of who these folks are. So we don't have to you know, picture tells a thousand words. Now, are they for sure Enneagram 2 or your money back? I cannot offer a money back guarantee on that. But there are Enneagram databases out there, good ones, personality database, or personalities. Yeah, I think it's personality database. Um, so they have a lot of these folks. There's other ones. I kind of cross check them. And then using my own kind of skills to assess. Um, and then some of them are just self typed. They, Know the Enneagram and you'll find it out there in the uh, interweb uh, example, um, them telling you what their Enneagram is. So bottom line, famous twos, if you're just listening and you're not watching, no problem. I'm happy to 
everything I show, I will share. So on this page, we have Harry Styles, Celine Dion, Olivia Newton-John of blessed memory, very sad year she died this past year, Hugh Jackman, Lionel Richie, Barry Manilow, John Denver. Those three are my wife's favorite um, musicians. They're not mine. God bless them, but they're hers. So I promised I'd put them in there. Olivia Rodrigo, Ariana Grande. My kids are making me, um, um, you know, bring this into the 21st century. It's not easy. I'm pretty much stuck in the 20th century. Um, Bono, 20th century. Love Bono. Jennifer Lopez, as I mentioned, Stevie Wonder, Danny Glover, Liz Taylor from a previous generation, John Travolta, Paula Abdul, Dolly Parton, and um, the most famous Israeli in Israel's history, Gal Gadot, or Gal Gadot, and um, she's also known as Wonder Woman. So, okay, now when you start to describe them, you get a flavor. These are not your typical Hollywood stars, frankly, if there's such a thing as typical. It's not who comes to mind because, you know, as much research as I've done and as little as I can get to know these folks from afar, these are some of the more modest um, Hollywood stars, if you will. You think of Olivia Newton-John or even Hugh Jackman. I, I've just heard stories that they're pretty real people. I met Lionel Richie. Um, through a friend of a friend, and just as nice as could be. So um, whether or not that's true, they all have the flavor of it. And when you meet twos, that's part and parcel of who they are. There's just a warmth around twos. They're called the helper. In some systems, they're called the giver, the lover, the caretaker, the nurturer. It's always the same, though. It's always around relationship. Whereas Enneagram 3, the achiever, is always around success. It doesn't mean every Enneagram 3 is successful or strives for success, just like it doesn't mean every Enneagram 2 is warm or in a good relationship. What it does mean is that's how they frame their world. Whether or not it's working, that's another issue. But twos tend to see the world. If, you, if they were a fish and they're swimming around water, that water is relationships. It's the people around them. It's connecting and and um, being in all kinds of groups, forming those bonds. So twos see the world through the lens of relationships. Um, tends to tend, uh, maybe do that one over. Twos tend to be, this is a lot of T's, twos tend to be the most um, compassionate. Or one of the more compassionate types is a better way to say it. I would say it goes hand in glove with being in a relationship. If you want to have good relationships, you better be able to connect to the person across from you. And twos have a unique ability to connect. Now, we're going to go down the path of, you know, reaction and response. My entire program is built on the idea of Viktor Frankl's between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. So something happens to a two, and if they're not conscious, they can grab at relationships. They can manipulate relationships and control relationships. So it's not always a good thing that they orient themselves to relationships. Sometimes it's sort of like the warning of swimming out to save a drowning person, because there's a good chance if you don't know what you're doing, they're just going to grab at you and drag you under. And sometimes twos will look like that 
grabbing somebody and dragging them under. Now, again, that's low level. That's the, the low side of the Enneagram 2. It's, it's reactive. It's not responsive. And we can all defy our number. We can all ascend to the higher side of our number to transcend our number and look like other numbers if we do the work. So the work for a two revolves around relationships, positive and negative. Compassion, however, I see the shadow side of compassion where we, we almost act like compassion. You can never have too much compassion. Well, uh, my one of my kids has a lot of two in them. And every time we pass a homeless person, every single time, they give them money. And it's <laughs> it's a com- complicated thing, isn't it? Any of you are raising kids or, um, you know, think this thing through. On the one hand, I want to tell him, yes, be compassionate. On the other hand, the kid now has no money, right? So do you do yourself any favors by giving away all your money? Like he literally gave away all his money. And now he opens his wallet when we pass the, pass the, walk past the homeless person and he has nothing to give. Well, this is what a two can end up doing. They can just keep giving, 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 giving. At some point, it's not compassionate. Maybe it's compassionate to the recipient. It's not compassionate to you. And this is the work of a two. Self-compassion, self-care, putting yourself back at the center, becoming soul-centered, right? Or self-centered. But it's not a bad thing. We live in a world that says self-centered is bad, selflessness is good, garbage. How many people do I work with who have lived their lives believing that and then they end up depleted, deflated, in broken marriages, alienated from their kids, angry at their friends because it's give, 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 give. It's not sustainable. I will argue it's not loving. It has to be a yin, a yang, a give, a take. You have to have those counterbalances and that that sustainable approach to anything in life, and especially when it comes to self-care, self-centering, so that you can be at the center of your life to enter into relationship with others. Because otherwise, it's just a version of you, and probably an inauthentic version of you, because you're presenting a false front so that the other person across from you wants you, or loves you, or needs you. And the moment you pull that back or pull that away, the relationship might fall through, and that'll get us into the core fear of a two. All right, let's just wrap up this page, and I'll give you uh, another page. I'm not going to give it all to you because I want you to invest into the program. But there are a lot of good pages, a lot of fun stuff, too. Um, giving, as I mentioned, community. Twos are naturally social. It doesn't mean all twos are extroverted. I work with a lot of clients who are introverted or more balanced than social, but Social means there's an eye towards community. There's an appreciation of the group. There's a sense of group dynamics and how, um, you know, at a family level or, you know, the group might be three people. I mean, it could be a friend group of three people, but they have a sense of what's going on and who's, you know, doing what to whom. And so there's this almost sixth sense of knowing what's happening in the group dynamic. Um, okay, another important page. We're looking at the fundamental pages. Might even do one more. So the two goes through the world, the nurturer, the helper, the giver, goes through the world with on the in the back of their mind this idea that I need to be giving. I need to be helpful. I need to be loving. It's a need. I need to do it. And 
They just say it over and over and over. Now, they may not literally say it, but they might literally say it. They're certainly chattering in their head going around and around and around of be loving, be helpful, give, 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 give. Maybe they were told this as a child. Oftentimes they were. I talked to a lot of twos who grow up and I'm not even convinced they're always twos other than they were raised to be twos, especially with the females in our society. You can say whatever you want, but our society still pushes boys into certain um, roles and um, images and, and girls or women into those roles and images. Now we have opportunities like never before to choose to go different directions, but that doesn't mean you can change uh, 50, 100,000 years of wiring and it doesn't mean you can change cultural norms so readily or quickly. And if you do change them too quickly, there's great damage. So, um, but challenging them and even defying them, especially if you are the two and you decide this is not my way or I, we all have a two in us. So it's not like you want to throw out the two, but maybe you want to lean into different energies of the Enneagram. And I meet a lot of twos at midlife, especially women who, you know, they're moving out of the nest, taking care of the kids. Although I have worked with a couple guys who were in that role and they want to go to that next place in the second half of life that's a little less obviously two-ish and is a little more, you know, on their wing, the three, the achiever or the one, the perfectionist and, the, you know, whatever. But you have that ability. Now, it doesn't mean you can change your nature. It means you can defy your nature, but you're still in your nature. Okay, um, so this two nature is just give love, be love give support, others depend on me, others need me, twos will forget that that's not true. It's not to say that your loved ones don't need you. It's to say that all of us are replaceable, not replaceable in the sense of, you know, God forbid I die tomorrow and my wife remarries and my kids have a new person, you know, in their life. It doesn't mean that he's the dad or that even if they you grow to think of him as their stepfather that I would be so readily replaced. I really don't worry about that. Um, but it does mean that I can be replaced in the sense of my wife can go on. She must go on, right? So sometimes we tell ourselves like, if I were not to be here, so-and-so couldn't go on. I have not found that to be true as difficult and painful as it is. I've counseled thousands of people through grief and it, some people just do, they get stuck forever trapped in the grief. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, but ultimately that's a choice. We always have the ability to choose to live. And so if somebody chooses to live, and hopefully they do after you know we're gone, or maybe it's a divorce, or maybe uh, it's an estrangement, you know, maybe our kids won't talk to us, there's a way to go on. Right. It doesn't mean it's the way we want, but it does mean it's possible. And to sometimes tell themselves for so long that I am essential, irreplaceable, right? The center of the world for this human being. That's not good. It's not good for the other person. We're creating codependency. It's not good for us, for our identity, because it becomes the God complex. Twos tend towards the God complex. What is the God complex? I'm sure you can figure it out. It's not that hard. That I am God. Now, I don't meet any twos who say, I am God. They don't have to. 
the way they move about their life, again, reactive, unconscious, is there's lots of I, my will. I'm the provider. I'm the source. And twos really need to work on pulling back, remembering they're not the source, remembering there is a source beyond them. Call it whatever you want, but it isn't the two as unbelievably nurturing and providing as he or she is, it's still not him or her because he or she is a human being. And that's part of the work of a two to realize they are a human being. They're not um, the emissary of God on earth as any more than any of us are. They have to get back into this place of humility it is not a conscious arrogance, conscious choice like some other types that really know they're, they're, they're arrogant. Eights can do that. I'm, I'm, I react like an eight. And I know I'm in that space. And I know I'm wielding power like I'm the source. Twos tend to slip into it. Hey, partially because we respond. We readily give over our power to our twos to our mothers tend, tends to be the stereotypical kind of two where, you know, moms wield a lot of power in the life of a family. You look at, you know, like, um, well, in the Orthodox Jewish world, there's this kind of unthought of that it's a misogynistic um, um, culture. It's not at all. I mean, of course, there are pieces and elements, but women wield the power in Orthodox households. I lived in that world. I've seen it, that they're the center of existence for their family's dynamic. Like The world can barely function without them. They're in more stereotypical, traditional roles. I am not saying they should be in that role. I'm not saying you need to be in that role. I'm just describing to you a reality that I have bared witness to, that they wield incredible power, and yet they're sometimes perceived as the one that's not in power. You see this with um, first ladies as yet we've had, as of yet we've had to have, we've had, uh, I'm having a hard time talking today, as of yet we have had, not had, that's it, a female president, someday I'm sure we will, but for now all the first ladies are ladies and most of them are twos. Nancy Reagan was a two, Laura Bush was a two, Barbara Bush was a two. Um, Lady Bird Johnson was a two. Um, I think Dr. Jill Biden is a two. I mean, there's there's others. I'm just not recalling them at the moment, but they're there. I think a Kamala Harris's husband's a two. So there you go. There's the first male two. What do you call the second man? I guess I don't know. Anyways, um, there is power, right? And oftentimes this is how twos see themselves as the power behind the throne, whether they're male or female, and whether it's in a kind of a traditional household or culture, or it's at a, in a workplace. Twos tend to be a second in command. Twos tend to step to the background to give others or put others into the foreground. It doesn't mean that they don't wield power. Oftentimes, they're the ones who knows where all the, the skeletons are buried, right? They're the ones who know where this is kept and how that works and who does what. And I, I, I had this experience um, when I was in my former life a rabbi I in a congregational setting. It was oftentimes made possible by some amazing twos. 
the two the people that I was surrounded by tended to be um, twos, also happened to be females in supportive roles, but more than just supportive roles. They were, you know, best supporting actress, but they're the ones who really make the, the film into an Academy, uh, you know, award-winning picture. So without them, like without me, you know, you, it would, it'd be hard for a while because I was kind of the pilot, but then you find a new pilot. But when you remove the two, it's much harder to teach others what they know or to have the rapport that they have. There's a power in that. And so in some ways, it's more powerful because they're not first violin in the symphony. They tend to be the second violin. So all the attention is on the first violin, right? Or the CEO, whereas the COO or the, you know, chief, um, what is it called? The senior executive assistant really knows things that almost can't be known, certainly can't be imparted so easily. And there's power in that. Twos are um, other referencing. So every Enneagram type is either self or other, or sometimes conflicted. And it doesn't mean that they're selfless. It means they put their attention on their circumstances or other people. And what that means is that they develop a sixth sense of what's going on. They're super aware. They are the ones who pay attention to the details, not like ones, the perfectionists, listen to last week's podcast, in the sense of all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. They may or may not, because they do have a one wing. It's more of all the details of whose child is graduating this year from high school or college, who's sick and not at the church, whose, um, you know, mother is in the hospital and we need to make a meal train for that family. I mean, these are the types of things that a, a two has a superpower for. The other, um, other, the other, other referencing types are threes and nines. Threes and nines put their attention also out on the world, but threes do it from a place of succeeding, and nines do it place from a from a place of peace and harmony. Twos do it from a place of building bonds, relationships, connections, and they have this amazing superpower when it comes to knowing what's going on and who's what and who needs who needs what. Now they have to be very careful. I'm not going to share the remaining pages because um, I don't want to give it all away. You got to work for this. You got to, you got to invest in it. So, but this is page one and two. There's only 39 more pages. So you'll have plenty more. Um, but twos need to stand guard against, in some ways, I would say weaponizing this superpower, because if you know what people need and they know, they, they know oftentimes other people's needs better than their own needs, for sure, even better than the other person knows their need. If you have that kind of power, you have to be very conscious or conscientious not to, as I say, weaponize it or to manipulate it, to create codependency, to um, pull strings. Twos can be quite manipulative. They don't like to hear that. They don't often see it. It doesn't mean they're bad. It means they're human. And we all have shadows. Every Enneagram type has a shadow. The work is to go into that shadow and to pay attention to it, to understand it, to know where it's coming from and why they're doing it. They're doing it because of their core fear. 
Their core fear is that they're not going to be needed. They're not going to be loved. And if they're not needed or they're not loved and they define themselves by relationship, then who are they? Then what are they? I see twos really struggling with that empty nest thing. Ariella, my wife, is a four, but she has a very high two in her. And so I see the two come out around the kids leaving home, even going off to camp or whatever. We have one in college and we have one going off to college and we have two more, but you know, the one, the third child's in high school and needs her less and less. And the fourth child is the baby and he'll always need her. But um, I see it challenging her identity because she's built a lot of identity around two. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm a man. If I don't know if it's because I'm an eight. I don't know if it's because I'm calloused and cold. I don't know. But I don't feel that at all. Like, I just think, yes, now I have an extra room to work out in or set up an office. I love them dearly. I love them. But fly, birdie, fly, pushing them out of the nest. So I think that's a two thing. I don't have a very high two. <laughs> you can kind of tell. I'm working on it, people. I'm trying to define my number, but I'm in it with you all. So, um, but it doesn't challenge my identity as much as I see it challenging Ariella's or other empty nesters or people who have defined themselves by relationships. Maybe it's with a spouse who has passed, or maybe it's with a um, an ex-spouse that you wish has passed, or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is. And then you're no longer needed. And then it's a, it's a value judgment on you because maybe you're not worth as much. Threes tend to measure their any their um, net worth. That They tend to measure their worth by their net worth. Twos tend to measure their worth by their relationship worth and how much they're needed, how deep their relationship goes, or how many relationships they have. So twos really need to stand guard against that. They need to find what they're looking for inside of themselves to not try and find it in others because we can never find that in another person. We must become whole, enter into a relationship with somebody who's whole. Otherwise, we're just two halves coming together to make a whole. But if we're two wholes coming together, we create synergy, something greater than the sum of our parts. And so the work of a two is to get whole. Sometimes that involves um, quiet, just getting comfortable going into the quiet. Sometimes that involves um, self-centering work, finding ways to put yourself back at the center. Just had a conversation with a few twos yesterday in a group setting about um, <clears throat> the, how hard it is to receive. There's like six or seven twos. And they were all saying it's almost impossible for them to to receive if they're not conscious. They've, they've learned to do it. But it's not something that comes naturally. And so we talked about one of the ways some of them have learned to do it is through understanding that receiving is an act of love. Because if you don't receive from others, because you're the two, you're the giver, you're the provider, and you never make it possible for them to give, oftentimes... You know, a parent not wanting to receive a present from their child, as an example. It's it's not so much that you need the present. It's as much as that child needs to learn to give or want to give, or they just need to give a present. And so you receiving it is an act of giving. It's an act of love. And that's an important shift for a two, to see receiving as an act of giving, as an act of love. 
And the last way I'll say it, um, kind of the growth path for a two, is to realize their worth is that they are a child of God, of the divine, of that their spirit, their essence is, never was, is, or will be another like them, right? That they're not loved because of the functions they perform or the money or the they give or the meals they cook or, you know, you fill in the blank of the doing and the giving. And if they are, then it's not genuine, a genuine, authentic relationship. And that's a whole other thing. But more often than not, that's not why they're loved. They're loved because of who they are, not what they do. And doing the work of accepting that, of receiving that, of, of looking in the mirror. Twos are the ones who are reluctant to look in the mirror when I give this assignment just stare at themselves in the eyes with with deep love and admiration. The same love and admiration that they give to the people around them, but they don't always give to themselves. I've challenged a couple twos to do this, and it's actually been like pulling teeth at first. And then they learn how to do it, and then it's a beautiful, remarkable thing. So we're going to continue the conversation on Enneagram 2, The Helper. This week, I'll be um, talking with my friend Michael Feiner on wealth through the lens of the Enneagram, and I'll be talking to my other friend. <laughs> I'd like to think I have more than two friends, but an other friend, um, although they're amazing friends. Scott Schaffman, who he and I are doing a lot of work together, and he's an Enneagram 2. And we're also doing it in his business setting as an Enneagram 2 leader. So I think we'll be talking to Lead 360 from the lens of two and Wealth 360 from the lens of two. And maybe we'll just throw in some bonus opportunities. If you want to learn more, jump over to defiantspirit.org where we can talk about working together or you can just do the program as a DIY and we'll just get you off and running and rolling. You'll discover your number, whatever number that is, so you can defy your number. Until we meet again, defy your number, live your spirit. I'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. The Defiant Spirit is an offering of Soul Center to Center for Spirituality, Meaning, and Healing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Defiant Spirit or Soul Center, get more inspirational content, access to a variety of online programs, or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life, greater purpose for your life, or live the Defiant Spirit power within your life, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, keep living your defiant spirit.